Early breakfast, 7.02 this morning. Dr. Miriam Close joins us and she's a specialist psychiatrist at Crescent Clinic. We're talking about racism, COVID-19 and gender-based violence, which creates emotional and psychological trauma. Uh, Dr. Miriam, thank Dr. Close, thank you for joining us this morning. How are you? Yes, I'm good. Thank you. Thank you to all the listeners. And how are you, Wasang, in this lovely, cold, refreshing morning? Oh, I love the positivity. <laughs> yeah, I'll go with that. I'm good. I'm good. I'm just uh, getting to the grips of uh, this uh, this gender-based uh, violence, which is really ingrained in a lot of uh, in, in our society. The fact that uh, any man in society is literally a, potentially a perpetrator. How do we uh, start with regards to the emotional and psychological trauma that transpires because of uh, gender-based violence. Where would we start? Uh, with definitions, perhaps? Certainly. Um, you know, just in terms of um, understanding, it's quite a complex issue and, you know, I've been listening in, in terms of just trying to understand such a complicated issue and um, trying to make it uh, understandable so we can get to grips with such um, a very important uh, concern. So uh, with regards to um, understanding trauma, we need to, to also look at, um, you know, what it means. Mm. And trauma is really in terms of a subjective understanding in terms of the survivor um, and what they feel with regards to an objective circumstance. So it is really trying to tap into the perception, the experience um, of the survivor in, in how they're dealing with the, the gender-based violence. Um, and trauma is, you know, something that is not some that can occur within the normal day-to-day experience. It is serious. It is potentially life-threatening. It's also something that if um, it is witnessed is also considered a trauma. So it is it's quite a broad component that we can look at and I'm sure we're going to be unpacking hmm. um, as we go along. Let's start with the emotional and psychological side of, of trauma. Could, could you define those two? Certainly. Um, in terms of defining them, you know, they, they can be basically considered to be synonyms um, of each other in terms of they, they, vary, they overlap quite significantly, the emotional and the psychological um, aspects of, of trauma. So when we look at um, uh, patients who come with um, psychological and emotional trauma, we would look at, you know, how are they perceiving and how they perceive the situation in terms of anxiety, depression, and completely overwhelmed, hopeless, at a loss, um, feeling as if they do not know where to turn, blame, mm. shame. These are quite you know, significant uh, issues that we have to help give them perspective in terms of what they have endured to validate their experience and then obviously to help them move through these mm. um, sticking blocks that they might find themselves in. How important is it to understand emotions? And uh, we talk about emotional intelligence and it's not innate. You, you may even find that uh, people in powerful positions need to be much more aware of their power and how they use it. Uh, how important is it to be emotionally intelligent, understand your emotions? Because a lot of the time, men who do or don't take or acknowledge um, their part in situations which have deteriorated aren't able to deal with something that is an unspoken pain. What is this unspoken pain? Uh, and can the ability to actually understand those emotions move you towards healing? Yes, thank you for that. I think this is really important in terms of it speaks a lot about being mindful 
and accountable. I think this is, again, very much part of, you know, the kind of underlying grain which we need to, to discuss is about an awareness. Um, by acknowledging, you know, if we want to look at it from a biological point of view, using our, our grey matter mm. to try and understand the situation for what it is so that we can have a more control over our limbic system, um, that part of the emotion that we aren't consciously aware of. So it's definitely also, it's also about being accountable um, for your actions, taking ownership and, and trying to be a lot more... Um, uh, you know, accountable and trying to do better mm-hmm. and, and being mindful of, of the situation. So it speaks to an awareness, it speaks to a reaching out. You know, also if a perpetrator is aware um, or potentially aware of, of what they are doing, it's also about um, mm. looking to try and get help to manage these behaviours. There's a, a wonderful lady called Shahida Janssen who works with masculinity and she works with men specifically in rehabilitation centers. I think she's incredibly courageous because she goes into prisons and talks to yeah. men who have committed the most heinous of crimes. And yeah. she finds that a lot of them have not been able to communicate what has happened to them, which is yeah. a traumatic incident. And a lot of the, the male-to-male discussions are, are quite effective. Why is it? that men are able to talk about these emotions, expunge them from this deep sense of not being able to talk about this pain that has occurred to them? I think there's, again, we need to look at, if you would, an onion kind of approach. We have to look, you know, from inside out. We have to look at the individual. We have to look at their history. We have to look at their makeup. We have to look at societal aspects that have, um, you know, been enforced or, um, you know, placed on on the individual. We have to look at the, the family, the community, as I said, the societal, the political. So we have to keep looking at ever expanding circles. Um, and unfortunately, there is an aspect of socialization of, you know, boys don't cry, you don't speak your truth. Um, and again, as I was saying earlier, it is about acknowledging that it is about being heard, that it is valuable and not needing to resort, resorting to acting out mm. um, in terms of violence to be heard. It's using other skills and other ways and means of, of, he- of hearing the pain um, that mm. as a human being can and is felt. About 2,280 prisoners have been released on parole and 19,000 more are coming in the next month. This is why my discussion with regards to rehabilitation and some of the scrutiny that a lot of these men who are going to be introduced to society face. So we condemn, we even call men who perpetrate these crimes animals and distance them from accountability. How do we manage the very difficult uh, tightrope between rehabilitation, parole, and keeping our societies safe? I think also, again, we're speaking to consequences. We need to know that actions have consequences. Okay. It's also about um, acknowledging that, uh, you know, um, this is an opportunity and everyone is entitled to an opportunity. Mm. But it's also about being accountable and making sure that whatever your actions you do, you need to, to um, be rewarded for them or if necessary, um, you know, there will be a consequence for this. Mm-hmm. And rehabilitation is also about that acknowledgement that you're going to be going out there, you've been given another chance, um, and, and to be cognizant that 
justice has been awarded and offered to you as a human being, you know, in, in encouraging and acknowledging your dignity, your right to freedom, but also your right to do better mm. and, and to give you that chance to, to do so. Do we deal with trauma differently? And uh, when should you seek medical assistance? I always say when it starts impinging on functioning, when um, it becomes too overwhelming to bear, when you aren't able to, to manage in the resources that you have with the coping skills that you do have. Again, as we're looking at that onion lay in terms of the structures that are available, and there are resources that are available, so it is necessary to, to reach out to assist you. Um, and, and when you're starting to feel that discomfort, when it starts to feel um, untoward, um, so either to look to, to colleagues, to friends, to family, and if not, then to look at more professional and look at the other widening circle of support um, that you, you can. So functioning, I think, is again a, a kind of a hook that we could look at. Thank you very much, uh, Dr. Miriam Close. Uh, that uh, ends our first half of the conversation discussing the uh, gender, the psychological and emotional trauma and how gender-based violence and also even racism might, might have limited access towards finding a solution. So we're talking about the why now exactly of why these men do these heinous crimes because uh, uh, in times it's it's so much more easier to 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 call the people who do these kind of things animal i always talk about the fact that we're not talking about people who are hiding under bridges with long nails wearing a balaclava it's the father mm. it's the the co- co- colleague it's uh the it's the brother in certain instances so with that regard we've there's been a huge appeal to the consciousness of men to talk to their peers to ask themselves and build these value structures which are missing what what can we do to answer the why as to how gender-based violence and uh, abuse uh, manifests in a lot of men's lives. So thanks for that, Wasanga. We have to, uh, you know, take a step back and maybe look at root level. Um, And there is a theory of the intergenerational transmission of violence in terms of what you've seen while you yourself were growing up is something that will become something that you model and that uh, is perpetrated. So again, it is looking at, again, stigma. It is looking at understanding of what is violence, looking at the acceptance of it um, in certain situations and how now we are saying it is not acceptable. And if it is happening, we need to do something about it in a proactive uh, manner. So it is looking about you know, the acceptance. If it was seen while you were growing up or if it was the only way that it was um, to manage uh, various situations was to, to resort to violence and or aggression. And also the psychological trauma in terms of criticizing, taking away agency, minimizing, mm. isolating. Um, this unfortunately is about what you see and model is something that you would not know any better. So it is about saying, no, this is not the way to do it. There are better, safer, healthier ways of doing this. This is not okay. Um, so it's also about saying that, you know, if you do this, you will be outed mm. uh, because we don't want this anymore in our society. But also in so doing it, as you're saying, this is not, they're not animals, they're human beings. Let us help you. But if you won't or can't or don't get help, then there will be consequences too. I think that's a, a great uh, way to look at the discussion uh, in terms of uh, making sure accountability is, 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 is really taken into consideration when we talk about the complexities, for example, uh, of trauma and early childhood trauma and that how it may, may have many, 
excuse me, manifest, manifested into undesirable effects. How do we yes. manage that between making excuses and accountability? Because at the end of the day, these are heinous acts that need to end. How do we manage Absolutely. making sure that we hold men accountable without making excuses? That's it. Um, if it is something that you do, you know, you act accordingly, you do the consequence. And then while the consequence is being enacted, be it rehabilitation, be it incarceration, de- um, definitely looking at the survivor um, at the main, in the meantime to make sure that they're staying safe, that they're out of the situation, getting the help that they need to cope with the, the, um, the trauma that they've experienced, be it psychological and or physical. Um, and also, again, looking at the, the greater, um, you know, family aspect, making sure the children are protected, um, you know, getting out of the environment, going to a safe space. Um, and also turning against the, the, the perpetrator. The, the society needs to say this is not okay. We're not going to tolerate um, having somebody with this um, behavior, um, you know, because there's a lot of secrecy. There's a lot of, you know, not airing dirty laundry. There needs to be a case of no. Um, if this has happened, people need to know about it, and so too will societal pressure need to, to turn on, on the individuals who've committed these violent, atrocious acts mm. and saying, we don't appreciate this, we're not going to have this in, in our community. And while this is happening, a separate, you know, um, kind of track can be about acknowledging that maybe this is the only thing they know how to do, they're not able to speak. Mm. Um, so instead of speaking, they're acting with their fists, they're acting in a, in a denigrating and demeaning way and, and giving them better skills to do so. And again, if they don't wish to, then they need to be removed from society in a way that, you know, is mm. appropriate because it is not okay. I can't imagine how difficult it must be raising a boy child and making him aware of these social dynamics and really what the girl child faces. And it almost creates from that standpoint, even the way I ask that question, how do you explain, for instance, to a child what men are trash means, where that sentiment comes from? Mm-mm-mm. And, you know, also then it's not for us to, to, you know, even that saying is just doing the very thing to trying to not do. You know, everyone is a human being. And um, again, it's so difficult. Where's that line between excuse and condoning? Um, behavior and, and we have to walk quite carefully, you know, not to now make it the, the complete opposite that men are trash. Men are human beings too, but it's saying that it's not okay. Behavior, no. Mm. Put that to the side. We will not tolerate this. We will not accept this. We will out you. We will, um, you know, make sure that, that in the meantime, behind the scenes, we'll also make sure and give you the opportunity to do better. So also that kind of speak, um, is also problematic uh, mm. because it does set up the divide that we're trying to, to undo. Part of the psychological trauma, as I was saying, is about criticizing, denigrating, um, as they call it colloquially, gaslighting, you know, mm. saying, you know, you're the one who's mad, I'm not the one who's mad, or I'm doing this for you, I'm doing this in your best interests. Um, you know, this altruistic kind of approach. These are also very traumatic and, and detrimental approaches that we need to avoid. So there are a lot of men who try to exonerate themselves and uh, especially from the horrific incidents in, in femicide in South Africa, we have to be accountable uh, and talk about it. What would you say to the discussion with men who say who try to exonerate themselves and say, not all men, I don't do that. That's not me. I've never done that. Mm-mm-mm. So it's, it's definitely a taking about the ownership is that if you haven't done it, acknowledging that unfortunately there are those that have. 
and saying, what happened? Did you not maybe reach out to a colleague, a friend, a family member who was behaving at that bri? Remember at that bri or that circumstance when you saw a behavior, did you speak up? Did you say, no, as a man to another man, this was not okay. You're not going to tolerate this. Um, when you've seen this, you know, it's also about standing by and, and letting others and do this and saying, well, it's not my behavior. This is somebody else's behavior. So I think it's, again, speaking to stigma. It's about speaking about ownership, that we're all human beings and that we need to not be okay if we see it or witness it or are aware of this behavior happening. One of the most simplistic approaches when it comes to gender-based violence is why didn't she leave? And mm. we know it's much more complex uh, than that. Could you explain that Absolutely. to us? Um, again, in terms of the trauma, you know, trauma is usually, especially in the gender-based violence scenarios in which you speak, chronic, ongoing, wearing the, the survivor down, you know, taking away a bit of, of the, the resources, the structures, the support, being in terms of an internal um, ability. So it's about wearing them down. Their thinking gets distorted in terms of, as you can imagine, this chronic abuse of your no good demeaning. And they can believe this. There is no other way of checking because part of also the abuse is isolation, both in a psychological and or a physical approach, saying you will not, you know, interact with your family or the greater societal out there where they can say, no, 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 this is not okay. So it's about cognitive distortion. Mm. It's also about, you know, in terms of wearing them down, they become to believe these, these denigrating thoughts. It's also maybe an element um, of the survivor they want to help. Um, and also the cycle of abuse, to just look at this in terms of the theories, mm. is that it's usually a, a, um, a process, if you would, where there's tension building up, where the survivor can start becoming aware of the abuser's tactics. They would start becoming angry, aggressive, start denigrating the meaning. Then it would be the acting out, be it in both the physical or the psychological um, 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 violence. Then usually there is the, in, in various models, we can talk about the contrition phase when they mm. would know after acting out, they would apologize, they'd be very contrite, they would give gifts. Another way of looking at this is sometimes we can look at it as the um, honeymoon phase when, and then the calm phase. When they would completely forget about it, they would minimize the, the experience. So part of this would also be in that uh, honeymoon calm phase, contrition phase. The survivor would feel, you see, he really means that this time is the last time it's not going to happen again. And also part of the cycle of abuse is the unpredictability of this. You know, that mm. the survivor really feels this really was the last time. It was so bad. He really was contrite. He really means it. Unfortunately, it is a chronic, intermittent cycle that can occur. So it is also about, you know, that the, the survivor might, you know, not the, the perpetrator and, and, and wants to rescue and, and, mm. and heal them, you know, from this. Um, and also the other aspects, it can be financial um, concerns, you know, the dependency that they, they need to be, and also the denial, you know, they, they can't believe that this is actually part of, of what their, their significant partner is doing. Mm. As so you can see, it's quite complex. 
As you've mentioned also, it's unpredictable. Some people, we, we'd like to see much more proactive responses towards gender-based violence. And people talk of red flags where you might be able to pick up signs before, during the honeymoon phase. Maybe us as onlookers may be able to spot these things. Um, how, 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 predict, how, how accurate is that? And are there signals which we can look out for? So in looking at you know, the literature that discusses the, the red flags, Again, it is quite broad, you know, in terms of it's, it's the ones that we need to look at the individual. You know, how do they treat um, individuals who are not maybe at the same societal level? You know, how do they treat um, a CEO? How does he treat um, the, the, the uh, petrol attendant? How does he uh, treat a mm. waiter? Mm. You know, it's about looking at, you know, societal needs. Um, so what could happen is that a person, an employee, for example, um, would know that you can't act out in, in the workplace because of the hierarchical dynamics that are there. And then so he'd be shouted at, for example, by his boss. You can't take it out there. But unfortunately, because of the dynamic change, you know, he would take it out onto somebody in the perception, you know. Again, it's about that denigration, making the other person as an other so that um, they would, you know, treat them with disrespect. And then, of course, behind closed doors, what goes on. So the signs that we can look at are generally the overt signs. But as we always know, the gender-based violence would be, we would never have thought that. Who would have thought, you know, that behind closed doors this is actually happening? And it's such a pervasive societal um, aspect. So we also need to look when we discuss in gender-based violence, we would look at personality structures, we'd look at empathy, we'd look at remorse, we'd look at entitlement, um, cool. we'd look at grandiosity. So these are the kind of factors that we'd want to look at as I, as a psychiatrist, would, you know, assess mm-hmm. in terms of when I'm interacting um, with the survivors, with the families and with the, the perpetrators as well to look at these various factors. So we had a discussion about how societal structures and cultural practices specifically um, put in place certain ways in which we, for example, commodify uh, the value of a person's life. Uh, things like such as lobola, which can become distorted if, it, if it's looked at in a way um, that does do that. So is there a way in which uh, we can talk to traditions and culture and change that mindset uh, with regards to how boy child and girl child are raised in, for example, rural locations? Is there somehow a way we can talk to traditional leadership? Yes, um, I think that, you know, is very much about um, looking at, at, at human dignity. It really is the concept of Ubuntu, it's the Africanization. It's about, you know, trying to really make sure that inherent in, in our upbringing and, and what we give to our children and to generations is the value of every human being, be regardless of gender. Um, and it's about speaking to that, yes, maybe certain roles um, in a cultural dynamic, yes, we're not to, to denigrate traditions, they're essential in, in our society, but it's also about you are because of the other. It's about, you know, making sure that we are um, putting in, in place that every single human being has a value um, and that even from a young age, this is where the consequences need to start. That it's not about I am man, I am more important. It mm. is I am a human being, you are a human being, we are valuable. 
So it's definitely about changing the language and the approach that we have to, to look at. Um, so again, the support, you know, and because if you don't know that, you don't know how we're going to do better. So it's about talking as we are. It's about saying, let's all get our minds together. Let's, you know, understand what are the difficulties um, and, and try to, to really, you know, speak to that. Uh, and then the choices that men make, um, it's often said that we don't dwell too often in the emotional realm. What advice would you give to couples that are going into a relationship? Because someone may bring that baggage into the relationship. And as we've heard, it, it could be any of those lightening of uh, situations and scenarios related to, to gender-based violence. Talk. You know, I think it's definitely part of, you know, in, in terms of from the beginning, excuse me, it would be about we need to actually talk about this. How are we going to manage? Let's, you know, act forward. Let's plan ahead. Um, let's talk about these difficult subjects. Let's talk about finances. Let's talk about roles. Let's talk about our needs. Let's talk about emotions. Um, if we can't do this on a one-on-one, let's look to outside assistance. Let's look to elders. Let's look to religious institutes. Let's look to professional help. Um, to give us that, that forum, that, that moderating space that we're actually able to talk about these very essential needs. Mm. And if, for, for a man to perhaps use power and the dynamics of power in a, in a relationship uh, proper, properly, uh, how would you explain, for example, could it be a salary situation? How do you have the discussion about pa- power dynamics in a relationship in understanding the cycle of abuse? In terms of, you know, looking at Again, the, the power and the dynamic, it's about roles. Is that on the one hand, maybe financially, the one partner might be a little bit more financially astute than the other, but then what is the other value? So again, it's looking to the value and the roles as a human being, that everyone has different strengths um, that they bring into to the world. So it's about you know enhancing those strengths, and if there are any areas that need a little bit more work, working on that together. And again, it speaks to, you know, understanding and the socialization that it is not, it shouldn't be these, these gradients and hierarchies that we need to look at. We need to look at a lot more horizontal approach in terms of everyone has value and coming away from that paradigm, it is less likely that we're going to be having these power dynamics. But again, it's, it's really constant talking and confronting, challenging um, these, these mindsets that, that we have from all aspects, you know, from a societal, religious, professional um, aspect. All right. Thank you so much once again for joining us this morning and your insights and the work that you do. Dr. Miriam Close is a specialist psychiatrist at Crescent Clinic. Please do be safe, doctor. Thank you once again. Thank you. Thank you so much.